This is the weekly Hi, message Mark, from Hope Church Montreal. We're so glad you can join us. Want to personally thank you this for downloading all part of our series, sermon cast from Hope and the purpose. We, we, we share these messages through the gospel of Luke, verse really by verse. Value their promise, their content, by promise. and uh, the anointing. Find out more about Hope Church and how to bring a fresh revelation of God's love to you. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of this message, will help you to see the good purpose that God has for you. And help you to walk in faith and follow instructions. His promises every day. Every month through a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope Church. Whether you're in the room or online or on the podcast, you're all part of the Hope Church family. And it's great to see you, new faces and old. So this week, we continue our slow walk through Luke. It's episode 78 of The Promise and the Purpose. And this week's theme is signs. Signs. And I read a fascinating story this week about a man in Kentish town in London who puts these crazy, amazing, thought-provoking signs outside his house just to inspire people as they're walking to work or jogging along. Um, ones like this, for example. She was a book he couldn't put down. That's kind of sweet, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Some of them are just odd, like this one. Can I borrow your cardigan again? Others are are more whimsical, like like this one. The snake farmer trod carefully. Uh, And how about this one? The the red setter called etc. don't know what that means. Um, but some just give you a different kind of perspective on the day, like this, this final one. It's raining diamonds on Jupiter. I mean, this guy has been doing this for years. Years and years and years. He's been putting these signs up outside his house. Now, these, these signs, they're just a bit of fun. Okay? They're some entertainment. But usually signs have a much more serious point. And you need to take a moment to make sure you understand what it is you're reading, so you know what the sign means. I remember uh, a a few years ago, maybe more than a few years ago, when I was young and foolish, as opposed to now, when I'm old and foolish. But but all these years ago, when I was young and foolish, I was on an airplane on the way to a business conference in Portugal. And there was a sign that said, well, it was a, it was a sign that was advertising a watch that you could buy in the duty-free section. And this watch was a Longines. And a Longines is a very fancy watch brand. And the sign said it was $125, which for a Longines is a really good bargain. So I flagged down a member of the flight crew, and I bought my $125 Longines watch. I mean... I'll tell you how old, how long ago this was. It was a paper flick-flack machine to process the card payment. Okay. And this was pre-euro. Okay, so back in the days when everyone had their own currency. And I remember thinking that how helpful it was for Air Portugal to put all their duty-free prices in dollars, then people could understand how much things really were, no matter where they were in the world and where they'd come from. And once I was off the airplane, I was in the taxi on the way to the hotel, and I was wearing my nice new watch. Oh, this is very good. It tells the time, just like a cheap watch. But I noticed 
that all the signs in the windows in Lisbon were also in dollars. And I remember thinking that these Europeans are very precise. They put their prices to three decimal places. And over the next few days at this conference, what I learned was two things that helped me understand the signs in the shops. Firstly, what I thought of as the dollar sign was also the currency symbol for the Portuguese escudo. The second thing that I learned was that prices in Portugal were not to three places of decimal precision, but in many European countries, they used the decimal point the way that we would use a comma in a number. So, if you were to see a sign that said $100.000, that's not 100 escudos to three decimal points, that's 100,000 escudos. And then there was this kind of clanking sound as the penny dropped, and I thought about my bargain $125 watch, and I thought, Maybe it was 125,000 Portuguese escudos. And maybe it wasn't such a bargain, long jeans watch anymore. And when the American Express bill finally came through, I was 600 pounds poorer. Don't tell Lydia. It's just between you and me, okay? We'll keep that story just between us. You see, if you misread or if you don't understand the sign, it could be a really expensive mistake to maker. So today's topic is signs. Signs in Scripture. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, I thank you that we can be here today, Lord God. And I pray that we will understand what you're saying to us. We will understand the signs that are before us, Lord God, and we'll understand the words of Scripture as we unpack them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So last week, Steve opened up Jesus' statement that true blessing comes when you hear the word of God and then do it. Be a hearer, doer. And today's passage continues immediately after the story of that encounter. Jesus is still in the middle of that same crowd of people. But Jesus knows that many in the crowd are not accepting his teaching because they're looking for more proof and they're looking for more signs that Jesus really is sent from God. And until they get those signs, they're not going to be willing to do what they hear him saying. So Luke chapter 11, verse 29 goes like this. When the crowds were increasing, he, that's Jesus, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man become a sign to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, But behold, something greater than Solomon is right here. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Yet behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
So let's unpack these two signs that Jesus is referring to. It's the sign of Jonah and the sign of the Queen of Sheba. What do they mean to the first century Jewish crowd that was gathered around Jesus? And what do they mean to us here in the 21st century? What's the purpose of these signs and what is the promise that they hold? Well, let's start with the sign of Jonah. Jonah was the little prophet who ran. Okay? God said, go to Nineveh. So Jonah went. He went to the port and he boarded a ship and he went to Tarshish, modern day Spain, as far away from Nineveh as he possibly could. He was running away from what God had called him to do. But if you remember the story, then a huge storm blows up and the boat is on the verge of sinking and the sailors discover that Jonah is the cause of their distress because he was disobeying God's command to go to Nineveh. So that's the background. So what happens? Jonah is thrown into the raging sea and immediately the storm subsides and Jonah is swallowed by a big fish. Now the fish is there to save Jonah from drowning in the middle of the sea, miles and miles from land. And this fish swims back towards Nineveh and spits him out on the beach near Nineveh. It was kind of a, a divine uber, making sure that Jonah ended up in the place where he was supposed to be. Because being thrown into the deep sea, miles from land, is certain death, right? Jonah should have died. But he left this world for three days, hidden in the deep dark. And then three days later, there he is walking around again on a beach. And if that reminds you a bit of the story of Jesus, who died on the cross and spent three days in the deep dark tomb and was then seen walking on a beach by his disciples, you'd be right. And at one level, that is the sign of Jonah. The dying, the being hidden for three days and then reappearing alive. This is the sign that Jesus will show that he is, in fact, from God. He dies and comes back to life again. But there's another level to this story as well, which is just in important. So let's return to the story of Jonah. Um, Jonah chapter 3 goes like this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time. At this point, Jonah is on the beach, post-whale woman. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, they believed God. They called for a fast, they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. You see, when Jonah came back from the dead, post-well vomit, what did he do? He went to a foreign land, he went to people who were not Jews, who were not descendants of Abraham, and he preached repentance as a means to escape God's judgment for sin. And the people repented and were saved from judgment. And Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he commissioned his disciples to go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God, the forgiveness of sins to all the world, not just the Jewish nation. That all who repented and put their faith in Jesus would be saved. And this is actually a much more profound sign to the Jewish religious leaders at the time. Because Jesus is telling them 
that the sign they will see is the sign that the Gentiles, the people who are not Jews, the likes of thee and me, would be accepted and forgiven and welcomed into God's family. It would be the end of the monopoly of the Jewish priests that controlled access to God. Now, from our point in history, looking back at the story of Jesus and Jonah, we see the obvious parallels. But that's because we know the end of the story from the beginning. We know what happens to Jesus in his future compared to this point in the story. But this was hidden to the people that Jesus was speaking to in the crowd. They had no idea. They could not even imagine the death and resurrection of the Messiah. So to them, the story of Jonah is just the story of God's grace extended to Gentiles and repentance leading to salvation. See, the sign of Jonah is the sign of the extension of God's kingdom to the people outside the Jewish nation. So this is the first sign that Jesus is offering to this wicked generation. The people who were rejecting Jesus at this point, who were not listening to what he had to say, Jesus is saying, well, the sign that you're going to get is the fact that God's kingdom is going to be offered to people outside of the Jewish nation. People who accept it gratefully and people who will be saved from the coming judgment. And that promise, of course, still holds true today. God's saving grace is extended to everyone who wants to accept it. Staying in Jonah, chapter 3, goes like this. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself in sackcloth, he sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation throughout all Nineveh. He said, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows, maybe God will turn and relent and turn from his fist, anger that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said would come to them, and he did not do it. And unfortunately for us, we don't need to sit around in sackcloth and ashes. I don't do itchy clothing. We don't need to fast in order to be forgiven by God. Simply accepting Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, that act of faith is all that it takes. But it does actually involve repentance, a rejection of those former things that were offensive to God. The Bible calls that sin. Now for Nineveh, that sackcloth and ashes was merely an outward sign of the inward repentance. It did not cause the repentance. It did not cause God's forgiveness. But it was a natural outworking of the change that happened on the inside. And I think for us today, that challenge is, if we take just a calm and sober look at our lives, the way that we spend the things we have, our time, our money, our energy, is there an outward sign of the inward change that came when we became a Christian? Put it another way. Could someone tell you you're a Christian if they got hold of your diary? and discovered how you spent your time, or got hold of your bank statement, and discovered how you spend your money. Don't make the same mistake that Jonah made, and think that God hates sinners. You know, in Jonah's case, God hates Nineveh. God hates sin, but God loves people. 
And God loves that. Bless him, that lost son of a gun who sits at the desk next to you at work. You know the one I mean. The really annoying person who swears all the time. That person who uses the Lord's name in vain. That person who's always telling stories about how they went down the pub and got drunk and have a different date with someone every couple of weeks. That person who never makes uh, mistakes or never admits to their mistakes. That person who lies to cover stuff up. That person. God loves them every bit as much as he loves you. And like God said to Jonah, when Jonah was sulking, that God didn't smite the city of Nineveh. God says, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't even know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So apparently God loves cows as well as people. (laughs) Actually, the word translated there as cattle is behemoth in Hebrew, which is kind of domestic animals in general. So it's more than just cows. By disgrace. But I know you're worrying about the puppies in Nineveh. Who was, who was going to feed them if all the people had died? See, the point of the story of Jonah is not the judgment of God, but rather the compassion of God. And these two always operate hand in hand. God cared for the lost 120,000 people and cows and puppies in Nineveh. They were lost, so lost they didn't even know they are right from their left. And have you ever noticed that Jesus' parables about the lost always end in a celebration? The parable of the lost sheep. When the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one and then brings it back, what does he do? The farmer has a party to celebrate the one who was found. The parable of the lost coin ends in a celebration that the coin was found. The parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, ends with a party being thrown when the one son returns to the family home. The stories of the lost always end in a celebration. Yet how often do we mistakenly perpetuate this image in popular society that God's story with regard to the lost ends in vengeance, condemnation. You know, God's righteousness and justice and compassion always operate in tandem. And Jesus is talking to this evil generation around him who refuse to listen to the word of God, refuse to be hearer-doers. And unlike the king of Nineveh, who when he hears what God was saying through Jonah, he got down off of his throne and he fasted in sackcloth and ashes and prayed for forgiveness. So that's the sign of Jonah. It's the sign of God's compassion to people outside of the Jewish nation. And the other sign is the sign that Jesus refers to as the Queen of the South or the Queen of Sheba who visited uh, Solomon. The story is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 10 and it goes like this. Now the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. And she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon in Jerusalem, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon, he answered all of her questions. And there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. See, the queen of Sheba came to Solomon, the king priest of Jerusalem, and 
She wanted to know answers, and he provided answers. We don't know exactly where the ancient kingdom of Sheba was located, but the best guess is somewhere in the south of the Arabian Peninsula, what we would call present-day Yemen. I don't know if you can see this um, slide, but that's right down at the bottom corner, that's Yemen or Sheba. Right at the top, at the end of that red line, that's Jerusalem. So that journey is about 2,500 kilometers, right? That's from Land's End to John O'Groats and back again. That's a jolly long way. It's a jolly long way today. It was a very long way 3,000 years ago, on foot, across the mountains, across the deserts of modern-day Saudi Arabia, up along the Dead Sea, nothing to drink here, all to hear what the man of God had to say in search of what Yahweh was saying. You know, some of us can't even be bothered to get to church more than once a month or come along to home group or pick our Bible up during the week. I think that's the challenge of the Queen of Sheba. How far are you prepared to go to hear what God wants to say to you? How far are you prepared to go to hear what God has on his mind? The Queen of Sheba, she climbed mountains, she crossed deserts. How far are we prepared to go in the search of the Lord? How much effort are we prepared to put in? You know, you only put effort into something when you think it's worth it. If you ever had children, remember the times you're trying to get them to do their homework? The subjects they care about, they put work in, but the stuff that they, I don't see the point in this. When am I ever going to have to do math? I've got a calculator. Right? They don't put the effort if they don't see the point. And you can gauge how much you value a relationship from how much you prepare to put into it. How much time? How much energy? And what Jesus is saying in this week's passage is very much a continuation of what Steve was talking about last week. Jesus is continuing to challenge the crowd. Don't just hear about God. Do something about what you've heard. And he makes these two comparisons. The Queen of Sheba, she travelled for weeks and weeks and thousands and thousands of kilometres to hear what the man of God had to say. And Jesus is saying, you know, right here in front of you is something more important, something more valuable than Solomon. That's Jesus saying it, not me. Right. But here's the Son of God, right? What are you going to do, he's saying, with what I am laying down before you, are you going to pick it up and use it? And the people of Nineveh, they repented when they heard the preaching of Jonah. And Jesus is saying, here in front of you is someone who's much greater than Jonah. What are you going to do with the preaching that you're hearing? Now signs, they tell you something that you need to know. They tell you, do not enter. It's not allowed. Give way at the junction or you'll have a crash. Signs show you the way to go. This way to Malmesbury is only three miles. Signs provide us with information. The height of the mountain, the length of the bridge, what time the cafe opens, or the price of the coffee. 
And the Bible often describes the miraculous works of God as signs. Why? Because they, they point to something else. Very rarely do people look at a sign for the sake of the sign. It's really what's important is the thing that the sign is pointing to. And the sign of Jonah points to Jesus, to his death, to his burial for three days, to his resurrection, to his preaching the gospel of salvation to the Gentiles upon his return. The sign of the Queen of Sheba, it points to the value of the word of God. It shows us the lengths we should be prepared to go to in order to hear what God is saying, in order to learn something about God. How committed we should be to hear and learn and understand all that Jesus has for us. Now, when, when you're on a journey, signs can be a useful uh, course correction. And if, you, if you've taken the wrong turn, you notice on the signs, oh, it's saying that way is our destination. Let's turn around. I mean, yesterday, my friend Steve, he came around to play, and we were, we were playing on the Top Gun flight simulator. <laughs> and one of the challenges is to try and land an F-18 fighter jet on an aircraft carrier at sea. And as you bring the plane into land, there are these signposts, there are these lights that shine up that tell you whether you're coming in too high or too low, too fast or too slow. If you see the red light, right, you're too low. I get that one all the time. And if you see the yellow light, you're too high. Yep, I've got that one down pat. If you see all six red lights, it means there's no chance, mate. Fly around. Regularly get that one. See that one a lot. The, the, the sign for crashing in the back of the boat, yeah, got that one. You know, it is actually a lot harder than Tom Cruise makes it look. I mean, Steve did manage to get his wheels on the deck of the aircraft carrier. So he definitely won that round. <laughs> but these signs are there to help you, to let you know it's time to make a course correction. And we need to look out for the signs that God gives us that we need to make a life course correction. And that's the question, I think, for all of us now. When we see the signs, what are we going to do? Are we going to be hearer-doers and do something about what we hear God saying? Is there a course correction that we need to make? Are we going to ignore the gospel of salvation that Jesus offers? Are we going to be humble enough to admit, like the king of Nineveh, are we going to get down off of our throne and ask God for forgiveness? If we consider ourselves a mature believer, if we think whether we're a follower of Christ already, how does the lengths that the Queen of Sheba went to to learn more about God compare to the effort that we put in every week in our walk with Jesus? Are we going to accept the challenge to run that race more diligently and with greater perseverance? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you give us signs all the time. We wake up in the morning and we look at the beauty of the sunrise, Lord God, and we know that this earth was not created by accident. It was designed by someone with an eye for beauty. We thank you, Lord God, that we have your word that we can read that tells us what we need to do in everyday life. 
Lord God, I pray that you would prompt us through your Holy Spirit to pick it up and read it. For the body of believers around us, Lord God, who could speak wisdom into our lives from their experience of walking with you, from the situations that you put us in, Lord God, and that unction we get from your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would be more sensitive to notice the signs that you give us that guide us through life every day. Decisions big and small, Lord God. We don't know what the the impact and the consequences of those might be. Lord, I pray that we are more sensitive and aware of what you're saying. And more than that, that we would do something about it. Lord God, I pray your blessing upon us all in this week to come. That you would guide our steps, guard our walk with you, and bring blessing to us, and that we may bring it to all those we meet. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. 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 And one notice before we go. Saturday the 20th of August, near Merthyr Tidford, we're going on a train journey. Starting about 11 o'clock. So this is the Brecon Mountain Railway. It's a family day out. Everybody is welcome. Families, dogs, friends, children. If you want to come, please speak to Criddy, who's waving her hand now, if you don't know who she is, because we do need to pre-book all of the tickets. Okay, everyone is invited, um, and you're welcome to come, whether or not you can cover the cost. We will sort that out. Don't want, don't want anyone to not come. So that's the 20th of August. Speak to Criddy to book your place. Other than that, have a blessed week, and we'll see you soon. Bye for now.